Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the Book of Enoch, the Prophet. Summary Discussion of Part 2 The Presentation of Three Parables The first canto in the second part introduces the first parable. All three parables have linguistic manipulations that conceal the secret messages hidden within them. The protective spell in the first parable causes sleeplessness, which results from an awakening to God's spiritual truth. The solution to this malediction is to praise God Almighty with truth and love. Persons who are the righteous elect or persons who are descendants of the righteous elect are likely to be affected by the quickening of the Holy Spirit, resulting in this experience of restlessness. The symptoms of becoming awakened to the reality of the Holy Spirit are different for everyone. See Acts 2, 1-4. Unaffected readers will be those who are not among the righteous elect, their descendants, or they have refused the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy and denial of the Holy Spirit is unforgivable. God does not forgive those who blaspheme or deny that He is the Holy Spirit in His true form. The one true God does not allow belief in other gods before Him. The doctrine of the eternal truth says that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, nor was He born of a virgin, because these concepts both refer to the crime committed by the errant extraterrestrial angels who mated with human females. The birth of a child as Son of God creates a multiplicity of God, which is a contradiction of true faith in only one God. The truth of this argument appears in both the book of Enoch, the prophet, and the book of Genesis in the Holy Bible. God is not a hypocrite, and he would not do what he prohibited other eternal extraterrestrial beings from doing. Jesus Christ was a human being, who was also transfigured to have eternal life, the same as Enoch, Elijah, and Noah. Jesus Christ was not an abomination to God because he was not the offspring of an eternal being and a human female. The spirit of Jesus Christ existed in the presence of God Almighty before Joseph and Mary joined to conceive and give him birth as a human being. The concept of Son of God refers only to God's angels because humans are terrestrial, non-deity, corporeal beings and angels are extraterrestrial, non-deity, spiritual beings. Angels are the spiritual servants of God, and they are God's sons. Jesus was not an alien, angel offspring. He was completely human. A human being never becomes God, but the spirits of all creatures come from God. In Greek and Roman mythologies, a mythological God impregnates a human female with a baby that becomes son of God, who is ultimately an illegitimate child, an abomination. These demigods of ancient mythology had abilities that humans did not have, such as incredible strength and speed. Modern Christianity is a religion which claims Jesus Christ was Son of God, born of a virgin, human female. Because the early evolution of Christianity combined Roman mythology with the message of Jesus Christ to suit the ancient Roman Emperor Constantine. The abilities God gave to Jesus through His Holy Spirit to heal the sick, cast out demons, and foretell the future were more understandable to those ancient pagans when they could relate these abilities as proof He was the Son of God like Hercules. Christianity evolved to become a pagan, polytheistic religion, not completely based on Judaism, which is monotheistic. Constantine and his descendants perverted Christ's message by converting it into a paganized religious belief over several perverse generations. The Roman version of Christianity perverted Christ's message by substituting the eternal truth with pagan mythology, so that it became, on the whole in general, Catholicism. All modern Christian denominations except those which specifically reject these pagan lies of virgin birth and son of God, have come from the perversion of the Roman conquest. It is time to wake up to the eternal truth and finally accept the correction that Catholicism 
is not the true teaching of Jesus Christ as Messiah because it proclaims a polytheistic personage of God as a holy trinity, which is a blasphemy to Almighty God. In addition to this antediluvian revelation, there is the reveal of how there are actually four archangels, Noah and the four archangel paths. The appearance of Noah, the son of Lamech, occurs in the second part, and Noah's transfiguration becomes an undeniable truth with the spells of confusion and misidentification broken in this poetic retelling. While Noah was chosen to do God's will, he was not the one God chose to be the Messiah. Noah became one of several men in the history of mankind who answered the Lord's call and obeyed his commandments. Other than the clarification of Noah's own CE4 abduction event and transfiguration to have everlasting life, there is another very important revelation in this part. The reference to son of woman contrasted with son of man is very important because it means that a natural human being is son of man. However, a hybrid human, who is the result of extraterrestrial and human copulation, is son of woman, because there is no man as father. God does not make sons with a human female who will become demigods in the flesh, nor does God have an eternal female entity with which he procreates. Eloi, the shining one, is one, and he is capable of creating anything anywhere in the universe from nothing. Any doctrine which denies this fact is a blasphemy of Eloi's true singularity and supremacy in the universe. There is only one everlasting, eternal, and almighty God. The four angels in this part are archangels and should not be confused with other angels by the same names appearing elsewhere in the story. In part one, angels who were with Enoch within the mothership were most likely cherubim, and they were the species known as Elohim, the shining ones, who are the angels God made in his own likeness. This distinction is important because their physical appearance is that they were completely white, glowing and shining. The archangels Enoch observes and asks about in this part of the story are the four most powerful of the everlasting species of extraterrestrials, but Enoch does not provide much detail about their physical appearance. An easy conclusion is that the archangels were extra-large, XL, versions of the cherubim, and God also created them in his own image as completely white, glowing and shining. It has been a little bit of irony for the author to discover this antediluvian revelation in the section of Enoch's book enumerated as XL, 40, because modern-day people know that these letters refer to extra-large. There is mention of at least four types of angels within the story, seraphim, archangels, ophanim, and cherubim. However, there are many other published theories that say there are more species of extraterrestrials than these. There is not an extensive effort within this creative work to clearly tell about all of these different species of extraterrestrials. The important point made here is that there are several different species of extraterrestrial beings existing throughout the universe, but they are not all good. If they were all holy like the Elohim, then there would have never been the crime which occurred on planet Earth thousands of years ago. It is the natural order of all things in the universe to have a balance of both good and evil. The truth of this statement is becoming more understandable in modern times with the increased reporting of extraterrestrial abductions and encounters which do not always have a positive outcome. The purpose for some of these incidents might be to educate humanity on the truth as it appears within this poetry. Not all extraterrestrials have good intentions when visiting Earth and there are both good and evil extraterrestrial originating forces influencing the evolution of humanity.
The other important point made in this first canto of the second part is the completeness of the first parable of wisdom. The poetry clarifies the meaning by saying that everyone makes mistakes, but wisdom makes it possible to prevail. The second canto begins the second parable, and the protective spell for this parable is one that causes confusion. This spell seems less supernatural than the first one because its effectiveness comes from the ungrammatical characteristics of the linguistic manipulations that become most evident in the early translations into English. The retelling in this poetic format breaks these linguistic spells of confusion by correcting the grammatical errors that cause the confusing contradictions in the source material. A great deal of effort has gone into correcting these errors in the poetic retelling, but some errors may still exist. For the author, every occurrence of reviewing the poetry reveals small errors in grammar and punctuation that originated in the early translated text. The Parable of Knowledge and Eternal Truth Other than statements that said the opposite of what should have been logically correct, there were various occurrences of pronouns without a clear antecedent, which will cause confusion for any reader. There is a reason why writers should not use a pronoun without a clear antecedent. This type of grammatical error will confuse the reader, and Lawrence's English translation only worsened this curse. Clearing up all of these confusing and misdirecting falsehoods made more complicated by linguistic complexity becomes possible with the knowledge of the eternal truth. This second parable is all about knowledge. Confusion will persist for the reader who does not know the truth, which is the secret message hidden within this parable. Within this second canto, there is also the reference to a vision of Judgment Day. This vision is relevant when mentioning the condemnation of those who have an incorrect knowledge due to their impiety. To state it simply, Jesus Christ was not the Son of God, nor was he born of a virgin. Anyone who says or believes otherwise is also accusing the Messiah of being son of woman. This matter becomes the condemnation of pagan Christians who believe in the concept of immaculate conception and Jesus as son of God. Despite the revelation of eternal truth becoming known in the text of this book and in accordance with the New Testament book of Revelation chapter 14, pagan Christians will refuse to repent of those lies which leads to an apocalyptic end for mankind because God will have judged them all as unworthy of heaven for their blasphemy. Canto 3 presents another vision of the future apocalypse also prophesied in Revelation chapter 14. Enoch's prophecy in this canto more specifically foretells the great deluge, which was the punishment for the offspring of the fallen angels as a corrective measure to reset the earth for the sake of redirecting human evolution. An interesting discovery within this canto is that God grants mercy to the character Shamyaza, who initially tried to stop the others from committing the crime. Shamyaza still gets punished because he went along with the others anyway, but God's mercy for him is that he does not burn for eternity like the others. God takes away Shamyaza's gift of eternal life so that he simply burns up and is no more. Along with being able to grant a creature the gift of eternal life, God can also take that gift away. God is merciful to Shamyaza by taking away his eternal life so that his suffering in the final punishment does not last for eternity the same as it does for all of the others who transgressed against God. Everlasting life can also result in everlasting punishment. And this knowledge is another example of the many antediluvian revelations within this book. The punishment of the transgressing angels and their abominated offspring occurs by the instrumentality of the holy angels. The poetic enhancements in this retelling explain this instrumentality as the task given to Raquel, Uriel, and other holy ones, who might not all have been the species of archangel. 
According to the poetic embellishment, one of these tasks is to direct an ice comet from the Oort cloud so that it slingshots around Jupiter to hit the Earth and cause the cataclysmic flood, earthquakes, tsunamis, and the destruction that occurred approximately 14,000 years ago. Scientifically speaking, there may be two possible sources for comets, the Oort cloud and the Kuiper belt. The description of how comets move within the solar system is accurately represented in the poetry based upon modern understanding. The promise of destroying the earth by fire in the future also appears in this canto, along with the curious prophecy about how Iran and Israel will go to war with each other prior to the initiation of a greater war, which will lead to complete destruction of all life on the planet. While nothing truly devastating has occurred to date in this ongoing conflict between Iran and Israel, it is a clearly provable fact that these two nations have been attacking each other for the latter half of the 20th century, and this ongoing conflict continues into the 21st century. 21st Century Revelations This same ancient prophecy about a war between Iran and Israel appears in other prophetic documents appearing in various languages throughout history. The revelation in the New Testament may have an encrypted telling of this same event, and there is also likely an encrypted foretelling of this same event in the prophecies of Nostradamus and others. Among all the strange apocalyptic prophecies in the book of Enoch the prophet, the prophecy about a conflict between Iran and Israel seems to be realistically proven as another example of antediluvian revelations based upon current perspectives of how the people of these different religions are constantly at war with each other. At the time Lawrence translated the Ethiopic transcript, and the unknown editor publishes 1883 edition, Iran and Israel were not nations in conflict with each other. In 1883, Israel was not a nation, and Iran was known as Persia. These facts provide proof that the ancient manuscript James Bruce brought to Europe was not faked, because it truly has predicted factual information about these two nations in the 21st century. Translators in the 19th century did not know any of what would happen nearly 100 years later, so they did not fake the translations either. It has now been 200 years since the translations of an ancient and mysterious text have predicted the conflicts that are currently occurring between Iran and Israel. Enoch's prophecy of an ongoing war between Iran and Israel is only one of many undeniable antediluvian revelations, made even more likely to occur as a result of blundering foreign policies and the misuse of the four national powers by an American president. If the predictions in Revelation chapter 13 and 14 are close to fruition, then the beast has come to power and will incite global thermonuclear warfare in the near future. The Third Parable Canto 4 introduces the third and final parable in the three-parable series that is split up into five cantos in this poetry format. The third parable has a protective spell that can cause a loss of identity. The psycholinguistic manipulations originally appearing in the early translations can cause the malediction of identity loss, which occurs because of the confusing organization in the ancient manuscripts. The misplacement or replacement of information causes the reader to be unsure of who is who in the story. The successful detection of this third curse within the book of Enoch the prophet may have resulted from the unintentional result of lost or missing pages caused by the fragility of the documents, damage occurring during transport, or erroneous copying efforts. The curiously confusing information has not gone unnoticed by other scholars who have also identified that this part seems to be the contribution of Noah because there seems to be a different narrative voice in the original text at this point in the story. Noah was a chosen one, but he was not the Messiah. 
Noah does not clearly identify himself in this contribution because he also knew he was not the Messiah. In any case, Noah's task of maintaining his great-grandfather's book resulting in his writing it all from memory at a later time in history. The natural aging of the materials used over time to preserve the story and an unexplainable reorganization of this part of the original epic story may have unintentionally created this curse of identity loss. In consideration of these theoretical factors, the third spell was the easiest of the three to detect during the author's analysis of the English translation. The loss of identity might also occur for the unaware reader who could begin to think of himself or herself as the chosen one while under the influence of the previous two spells. The poetic retelling eliminates the loss of identity spell by either telling a story with a specific person identified or it takes the approach of a neutral narrator. The cure for the loss of identity is to have humility. Without humility and the willingness to accept correction, any reader of the book of Enoch the prophet might come to the faulty conclusion that he or she is the chosen one if already being unknowingly influenced by the first two curses. The protection of this bill has the intent to cause the unrighteous reader to think of himself or herself as the chosen one being described in the tale itself. Understanding one's true identity with humility and the true identity of the chosen one becomes the solution to the spell in this canto, which is also the parable of understanding. Without righteous wisdom, true knowledge, and correct understanding, the reader will never discern the secret messages that Enoch and possibly Noah by his own contribution have hidden within this book. The Vision of the Three Curses The discovery of these three spells occurred for the author as visions or waking dreams. When the author initially began studying the 1883 translation without knowing it was cursed, the first spell caused three days and nights of sleeplessness, and this inexplicable sleep deprivation resulted in a vision of an angel holding a flaming sword while standing in front of a doorway. A lack of sleep might also be scientifically proven to cause hallucinations, particularly after three days, but the curse was designed to create this malady for the purpose of leading the reader to have a vision as a result of sleep deprivation. It was not the case that the author did not attempt to sleep, but every attempt was unsuccessful because of the constant thought about what the ancient text actually meant. Being awakened to the eternal truth as it appeared in the book of Enoch the prophet was the result of psycholinguistic manipulation that had a physiological effect on the author which manifested as an inability to sleep. Release from the malediction of sleeplessness occurred by praising God and repenting when having the vision. It might have been a mistake the author made to dare entry into this secret place, but wisdom made it possible to prevail. A continued study of the book caused additional visions after successfully passing the first test because only a penitent man may pass. Without repentance and a true expression of worship for the one and only God of the universe, a man who dares to enter this secret domain of eternal truth protected by God's Holy Spirit will simply be turned away for a lack of wisdom. The author's vision about the second curse was that it appeared as a spiral maze. But this vision occurred without the necessity of sleep deprivation. The door protected by the angel with the flaming sword had been opened by the act of repentance, which resulted in a knowledge of the book's truth. Navigating the confusing textual elements, faulty punctuation, and erroneous grammar was very similar to navigating a maze. But the knowledge of how the first curse worked and a belief in the eternal truth enabled the solution. Correcting the errors in grammar and punctuation has been the greatest challenge of the task that came much later to retell the story as an epic poem. 
There was some hesitation to think the task was to rewrite this book because of considering how this was prohibited by Enoch's prophecy, but successfully navigating the maze of errors in the translation made it more apparent that there needed to be this poetic retelling for other readers. The work has been a labor of love and a personal sacrifice. The author's vision of the third curse was the image of a hall of mirrors. Erroneously looking into the mirrors could result in a loss of identity in the sense that a person reading the text would begin to think he or she was the chosen one being referenced in the story. Admittedly, there was a brief period of time when the author had fallen into this trap, but knowing the true identity of the chosen one to be Jesus Christ prevented any permanent loss of identity. Furthermore, having a humility enabled successful avoidance of the curse's effect because averting the eyes downward to avoid looking into the mirrors is an act of humility. Getting past this third curse is a matter of understanding the necessity for humility when being corrected by Almighty God. One must lower the head and eyes in humility and repent. It is without any certainty that anyone can claim Jesus Christ read or knew the content of the book of Enoch the prophet during his lifetime, but the prophetic nature of how this book foretells the Messiah suggests this material was relevant to him. If Jesus knew or read the original sacred text, then he would have known he was the chosen one, without confusion. He simply would not have been able or allowed to acknowledge the truth of it to others because that is one of the restrictions for a true prophet of Almighty God. He could never exalt himself by proclaiming he was the chosen one because he had the requirement to have humility, and he avoided exalting himself throughout his short life on earth. This undeniable fact is one of the premises presented in this argument, which claims that John 3.16 is a fraudulent editorialization of Christ's words because he would not have exalted himself in any way. John 3.16 is a pagan editorialization and a lie because Jesus Christ would not have ever insinuated that he was the Son of God and exalted himself by doing so. The one true Messiah, Jesus Christ, never exalted himself by claiming he was the Son of God because he knew that such an action was a blasphemy. Jesus knew his lineage and he told it to Matthew, which is why the genealogy of Jesus appears first in Matthew's testimony. The information that follows the truth of Christ's birthright is a pagan editorialization that has also infected other documents pretending to be the truth of Christ. It has been the fault of mankind to think the species could ever be anything other than a lowly, ephemeral creature and become equivalent to God Almighty. There is only one God, and Jesus Christ was a man. The early pagan editors of the true testimonials failed to eradicate references to Enoch in the New Testament, in particular, those uneducated and unevolved morons who masqueraded as high priests and appointed scribes to perpetuate their heresy overlooked the literary reference in Jude's testimonial contribution to the compilation of texts that became the New Testament. Jude's writing indicates that Jesus and his disciples were well aware of the book of Enoch the prophet. See Jude 1.14. The clue has always been in plain sight and it is one example of how God has been involved in maintaining some credibility within the writings attributed to being the truth of his plan for mankind. There are two other references to Enoch in the New Testament, but the reference in the Gospel of Luke is an innocuous repetition of what already appears in Genesis. The other reference to Enoch in the New Testament appears in the book of Hebrews, which has been identified in these discussions as an heretical fallacy, which uses the inclusion of Melchizedek as a component of the curse 
presently existing upon the New Testament. Removing Melchizedek from the text of religious documents may have the effect of removing the curse, but there is no guarantee that such an action will solve all of that book's problems. By clearly stating here and with no confusion that the unholy character of Melchizedek is the source of a curse upon religious texts associated with Judaism and Christianity, this book has protection against that curse. It might not be practical to rip out the pages referencing Melchizedek from every copy of the Holy Bible or Book of Mormon existing on the planet, but a reader may choose to do so for his or her personal copy. The character of Melchizedek is completely irrelevant and has no valid purpose other than to create the curse of confusion in what would otherwise be a sacred document. Solving the curse of identity loss leads to a greater understanding of the true identity of the Messiah, and rejecting Melchizedek as a false identity has been the key component in the author's ability to solve the secret message hidden within the third parable. The author came to know the truth about Melchizedek before reading the book of Enoch the prophet, and that knowledge enabled a further understanding of how inclusion of Melchizedek in the Holy Bible, the Slavonic translation, and Book of Mormon is the source of an ancient curse on those texts that does not appear in the Quran. There may be more to the mystery of this curse than anyone may be able to know or say at this time. More Antediluvian Revelations A few other relevant Antediluvian Revelations appearing in this fourth canto are the predictions of refrigeration, mankind's development of viruses as weapons, the creation of radioactive isotopes that contaminate the entire planet, and nuclear winter resulting from the use of nuclear weapons in global warfare. These prophecies come from a spiritual source whom Enoch does not specifically identify in the translated text, the same as he identifies a source of other information. The poetic retelling of the story in this segment attributes the prophetic words to Fenwell. Ordinarily, it would have been Michael's characteristic to foretell of humanity's current situation with plagues caused by the accidental releases of bioweapons, radioactive fallout from nuclear power plant disasters, and nuclear weapons usage becoming the real destruction of the Earth's environment. Fossil fuel usage is the least concerning environmentally destructive contamination at present. Radioactive fallout in the form of cesium-137 resulting from global thermonuclear warfare is much deadlier than carbon monoxide polluted air. Both atmospheric contaminants are killers. It might seem unlikely that Manuel would be telling these things to Enoch. However, it appears as though Enoch may have been conversing with all of these archangels who would have equally been able to provide him the information for his prophecies. The poetic retelling of Enoch's conversation with Manuel is an example of how the spell of confused identity has been further broken by the addition of missing information. The early English translation may have intentionally concealed the identity of Fenwell because the Catholic who translated the ancient Ethiopic text would have denied there was a fourth archangel. He would have also been excommunicated for disagreeing with established doctrine that had claimed there were only three archangels. If Lawrence did not intentionally conceal the identity of Fanwell, then the scribe who copied the text in Ethiopic may have created this spell as a component of the original curse. The identity of Fanwell as one of the archangels has been previously lost to mankind for thousands of years. The breaking of the curse also enables the world to finally know Fanwell, and that his task has been to tell mankind to repent in the hope of having everlasting life. It makes perfect sense that Fanwell would be the one telling these future events of plagues, wars, and pestilence, because these horrors are the punishments mankind will face without repentance. Without repentance, there can be no forgiveness and everlasting life. And this act of concealing the truth about the four archangels further obfuscated the message of Jesus Christ, who walked the path of Fanwell. 
even unto death. It has been the author's vision of Jesus revealing to him this specific concern about Cesium-137 during the creation of this poetical work, which also resulted in an understanding that this unknown archangel was Fanwell. It was Jesus Christ who has walked the path of angels and mastered the characteristics of Raphael, Michael, and Fanwell while on earth. The mystery of this unnamed angel in Enoch's prophecy is the secret that has been kept from all of humanity by the pagan idolaters who have endeavored to conceal this truth from mankind. Jesus Christ died delivering the message of repentance and the hope of everlasting life because that was the path of Fanwell. Christ mastered the path of Fanwell even unto death as God decreed. But Jesus was not a sacrifice for the forgiveness of sin because that is the premise of paganism. Mankind will be punished for the murder of God's emissary of peace because the period of time he has allowed for repentance has nearly come to its end. There are also the antediluvian revelations of how those who insist that Jesus was son of God and born of a virgin will be rejected by Yahweh on the day of the great judgment. The errant theological doctrines based on Roman Catholicism have insulted God by insinuating that an eternal supreme being must impregnate a human female the same as Zeus or Apollo, who were false gods of pagan mythology. Christian denominations that follow a doctrine of son of God and born of virgin are pagan theologies no different from Greek, Roman, and Sumerian mythologies. The English translation of Enoch's prophecy from the Ethiopic says that the son of woman believers will perish when God rejects them for their blasphemy. Christians blaspheme God by teaching a theology that is actually polytheistic paganism, and the one true God is only one entity. Judaism is monotheistic, and the advent of Jesus Christ as a human being and the Messiah, who delivered the message of repentance and everlasting life, did not change that fact. Jesus Christ was not God in the flesh, nor Son of God. Jesus Christ was the Messiah who delivered God's message of repentance and the hope for everlasting life. The previous statement is the core premise of the eternal truth prophecy, which is the only salvation for the souls of mankind. This concludes this episode of Antediluvian Revelations, a poetic retelling of the book of Enoch, the prophet. Be sure to subscribe or follow for notifications of new releases. Thank you for listening. I am Michael.